My name is Matt Drain. I'm a CALPA director uh, along with my wife Jackie at University of Memphis, uh, where we've been the last six years. Uh, the name of our session is, I wrote it down, Engage Your Campus, Session 4, The Church, Politics, and Your Campus. This is, this is how it was described. Politics is one of the most avoided conversation topics in the Christian and church world. Learn how to interact with political issues and discussions and how to maintain a focus on the gospel through all of it. You guys in the right class? Yeah. Okay. Um, again, this is the, the last, last part of the Engage the Campus track. Um, navigating politics as a Christian. Navigating politics and political issues as a Christian. Uh, when I got saved in high school, uh, a really popular, uh, if maybe a little cheesy, uh, church trend, Christianity trend, um, and some of you guys may be old enough to remember the, the What Would Jesus Do movement. Uh, it was a, a hit song in Christian radio. It was a book, maybe a movie, but more than anything, it was a bracelet. Uh, <laughs> The WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, and at its heart, man, it's a pretty, a pretty cool idea, a neat way to, to kind of evaluate your life, take inventory. Hey, would Jesus do this? You know, would, would Jesus really go to this party? You know, would Jesus really, really do this over here? And just a kind of way uh, for Christian young people, and men and adults too, to, to evaluate. I want to live, I say I want to live like Jesus lives, but would Jesus do X, Y, Z, right? And so that makes me think, uh, man, by extension, how, how would Jesus vote? You know, how would Jesus uh, be politically active or would he be politically active? Would Jesus be a Democrat? Would Jesus be a Republican? Would Jesus be libertarian or independent? Or uh, man, would he be involved at all? You know, and we, we kind of think about these things. It's like, I'm a Christian. I want to be like Jesus. Um, and, and the political arena is unavoidable, right? It's on, you can't, can't get away from it. Uh, even even choosing to not engage and, and, and play, play students like man I just I just don't have anything to do with it I don't vote I don't I don't participate even that that is engaging it it's engaging it by saying I'm fine with whatever happens right whatever happens uh, I'm totally fine with because I'm not participating at all like like indecision is still is still a decision does that make sense so when we want to think about man as a Christian how ought we engage these things. How, how should we participate, and what should that look like biblically, right? What would Jesus do, right? Um, what I'm not going to do in the next 55 minutes, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you what political party or if you should be part of a political party to be a part of. Uh, in fact, I think that's unethical uh, for, for a pastor, a person with spiritual authority to do. I mean, some of you guys maybe have pastors that are like, man, you ought to vote for this because X, Y, Z. For my, me personally, I think, I think it's immoral and unethical for, for a pastor to tell a person who to vote for. I think that's an abuse of power and spiritual authority as, as, a, as a spokesperson for the gospel. Um, now, now, I'm going to tell you what the Bible has to say about uh, certain uh, moral issues that, that become pertinent political issues. It sounds like a balloon is like slowly losing its air somewhere. Maybe from some like, New Year's party up in the rafters. <laughs> We're just going to go on. Um, but you're not going to leave this class with, okay, Matt told me I need to vote for, for, for this person over here and I need to be part of this party because that, that ain't it, honestly. Uh, and, and I think that would be, that would, I have opinions. Many, many students that I've discipled and 
been in one-on-ones with me and stuff. They've heard some of my opinions. Um, but, but it would be wrong for me to tell you, hey, this is, this is what you should do. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Um, but what I do want to do is, is help you to learn man, how, how to navigate those things as a mature believer. Um, and how, how, as a Christian, do, do I navigate these topics? Do I navigate these discussions? Are political discussions unavoidable uh, with, with your, your peers? Does it come up with your friends? Does it come up with your family members? Does it come up? Did it come up over Thanksgiving? Did it come up over Christmas, right? And, uh, and, and so as a Christian, man, man how, how do we navigate these things? How do we talk about these things? Uh, how, do we, how do we live in, in a way that honors God? Um, so I'm going to have man, three, three main points for us to talk about, and then, and then I'd love to have a little bit of time for, for questions after, if that's cool uh, with you guys. So three important things to consider with, with, with navigating uh, politics, political issues as a Christian in a way that honors the Lord. Number one. Our first allegiance is always going to be to God and His kingdom. Our first allegiance is always to God. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven. The moment that you put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior, in your Lord. Say, say, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you and what you did on the cross to save me. I can't save myself. Uh, Jesus, come and save me. Be, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Uh, the moment you do that, uh, a lot of miraculous and amazing things happen. Your sins are forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God. You become a citizen, the Bible says, of heaven. That from this point on, uh, your citizenship is not of this world. You're not a, a, a U.S. citizen or a citizen of any other country. I mean, like in a legal, worldly sense you are, but, but in a, an everlasting sense, I mean, you, your home is now forever in heaven with God. And the time that you have here on this earth is, is fleeting and it's temporary, and we need to live in light of that. that, that our first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of anything else. Does that make sense? And so uh, man, that, that, that's number one. Our first allegiance is going to be to God and to his kingdom first. Does it sound like it's like petering out or getting, getting worse? I don't know what it is. Oh, someone's checking on it. Thank you so much. Because it's like, I could take that for maybe like two more minutes. And then after that, it's going to like, okay. Um, yeah, so, so our, our first allegiance is going to be to the Lord. So how, how's that going to affect how, how we live? Um, as, our, as believers, our allegiance to any politician or political party cannot be absolute. Because people are fallible. Uh, human systems are imperfect and corruptible, so we can't be absolutely loyal to any human politician. Does that make sense? We can't be absolutely loyal to any particular political party or, or system because because it's imperfect and infallible and corruptible. Uh, so our allegiance to God has to come first. Thank you, Jesus, for fixing whatever that was. Um, our allegiance to, to God has to come first, and everything has to be viewed uh, through that filter. We cannot let uh, any political position or party affiliation define us more than our relationship with God defines us, more than that citizenship in heaven defines us, more than you know we're, we're sons and daughters of God define us. Does that make sense? Um, and, and so, so everything is going to be through that lens. Um, that's going to be contrary to your culture uh, that's drawn man, very bold lines and say, hey, you need to be on this side of the line or that side of the line. You need to be in this party. You need to be in this camp. Uh, you need to be over here with us because them over there, they're ignorant and stupid and, or maybe evil and wicked and selfish and every ugly thing we can think to call them. Uh, say, not, I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to fit neatly into the boxes that you're describing. My, my allegiance is to, to heaven 
and to God, right? My king is perfect, right? And, and my allegiance to him is forever. My time on this earth is short and fleeting. Um, so, so I'm not going to fit neatly into those, those political boxes. Does that make sense? No matter how wonderful they seem, no political party or politician is the hope of the world, right? Republican Party is not the hope of the world. Democratic Party is not the hope of the world. No politician, no matter how charismatic, no matter how bright, no matter how, man, this guy seems great. They're not the hope of the world. Only Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen? Amen. Only Jesus is the hope of the world. We must understand that our government cannot save us. Only God can. We never read in the New Testament of Jesus or any of the apostles expending time or energy teaching believers how to reform the pagan world and its immoral and corrupt practices through government and legislation. That wasn't their MO. Instead, the apostles commanded first century Christians, as well as us today, to proclaim the gospel and live lives that give clear evidence of the gospel's transforming power. And ultimately, the way that you transform a culture, the way that you transform uh, a country, a neighborhood, um, is through one soul at a time, evangelism and discipleship. One soul at a time, one family at a time, one, one street at a time, one neighborhood at a time. That's what transforms a culture. That's what transforms a nation. Uh, not bold political strategies, but evangelism, proclaiming the gospel, uh, living the gospel, and discipleship. One at a time. Um, our hope rests in God alone, right? And, and we want to look at what, man, what was Jesus' methods for engaging the culture. And what we don't see... Uh, is, hey, you really need to get in politics, right? Because, man, if you get a position on the Roman Senate, then you can influence this over here, and then that's going to open doors over there. We just don't see a lot of that, right? And that does not mean that a Christian should not be involved in politics, and, and that God may not call you to, to serve in different ways. I, mean, I came in on the tail end of what uh, Belkis was saying there about getting involved in local politics and making a difference in your community. And I think God's all about that kind of stuff, right? There's a lot of good to be done, amen? Um, but we don't see Jesus saying, that's the hope of the world. Right? The hope of the world is Jesus. And then by extent, extension, Jesus in you. I mean, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Right? And so as you engage uh, your roommates and your classmates and your friends and, and your neighbors and your family members and, and lead them to Christ and disciple them, and that's how you bring lasting change. So like I said, because of this, oftentimes believers don't fit neatly into any particular political party. Uh, or political movement. Something that I've found and heard other Christian leaders say is that on some issues, I'm too conservative for my liberal friends. On other issues, I'm too liberal for my conservative friends, right? That, that my relationship with Jesus is, is not going to make me fit neatly into either box. Generally speaking, again, this is super general and super broad. Uh, generally speaking, someone that is politically conservative is going to favor a, a smaller government and more individual freedom um, out of concern that a larger government can become too controlling or tyrannical or, or totalitarian dictatorship, those kind of things. We do see that somewhat in history uh, to be the case sometimes, not all the time. Uh, so so there, there's a general desire for a political conservative uh, and understand the difference between like a moral conservative and political conservative. Political conservative, smaller government, right, more individual freedoms. A uh, political liberal, political progressive would favor a, a government that's a little larger so that it can have more social programs to care for the poor and the marginalized. And both those things are, are good, right? But both those things, man, I can see pros and cons on both those things. Uh, and both those things can be, can be something that a Christian can say, hey, yeah, I, I prescribe to this and I, I can see how that would be good. Um, and they're not going to 
a Christian doesn't necessarily have to feel like, well, well the Bible says I need, to, I need to be aligned this way or be aligned that way politically, right? Um, and bo- bo- both of those systems can, can, can do good. Both of them make sense. Um, and, and so on the other side of that, you have uh, moral conservatism and moral liberalism or progressivism. Uh, a moral conservative, conservatism says, hey, there's certain morals that we need to hold to. It's not just everyone can do whatever they want. Uh, and for that, man, we need to defer to the Bible. What does the Bible say? is and is not sin, right? What does the Bible say is and is not okay? Um, if it's something that, 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 man, we're saying wrong, but it's more, it's more just tradition or it's more just kind of human legalism, but the Bible doesn't really say it's a sin, well, hey, we need to be careful that we're not trying to push that on other people, right? If it is something that the Bible says, hey, man, this is, this is wrong. It's wrong for a Christian to do this. Uh, it's wrong for a Christian to pursue this. It's a sin. Um, then we need to be careful in, in, in our political allegiances to take those kind of things into account. Does that make sense? Sometimes people will say, and you guys have heard this, maybe you've thought this, how can a person even be a Christian and be in that political party, right? Like the, we, the lines have been so drawn, and particularly in recent years, become so heated, the other side's become so vilified and demonized that it's to the point like, I mean, how can a person even be a Christian and be a Republican? How can a person even be a Christian and be a Democrat, right? That, that you hear that on both sides, that, that we, we, can't see, we can't see each other anymore. We don't see each other as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We don't see, man, that we've got that precious like faith and that we're both made in the image of God, chasing after Jesus. It's like, man, you must not really be a Christian if you vote that way, right? You guys, you guys have heard this and you guys have experienced that. Uh, and maybe even thought that some yourselves because, because, because again, how, how much uh, in, in media, and particularly social media um, and other, other parties and, and political persuasions are vilified. Um, we vilify the other side so much that we can't even conceive of someone choosing to affiliate with a political party that we don't agree with. Don't let yourselves become judgmental in this area. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what Jesus wants for you. Don't let yourselves become judgmental uh, that someone has different political pre- preferences than you do. There are believers who sincerely love the Lord on both sides of the aisle. That sincerely love the Lord, sincerely love Jesus. If you identify with a particular party, it's probably because you have two or three issues uh, that are particularly important to you, right? That you've got a few issues. Hey, these things are particularly important to me, so, so I tend to identify more over here. Or maybe this is how I was raised. My parents were, were really strong in this camp, and I, I, if I'm being honest, you know, some of that's rubbed off on me. Um, you've got a few issues that are really important to you. And something really wise that, that, that my pastor said uh, a while back is that the, the reason that man, different people that sincerely love the Lord can end up in different camps is, so you've got a few issues that are really important to you, so do they, but they're going to be different issues, right? Your, your top three or four issues uh, may still be things that are important to them, but they're not their top three. Does that make sense? Like you, you may have, uh, you know, you know, you're, care for the poor and immigration reform and those, those kind of things as your top issues. Someone else may have uh, uh, abortion and LB, LGBT issues as, as top issues. Uh, and, and, and hey, God, God's made us all different. Um, but, but we want to be careful that we don't become judgmental that, that, that the issues that they're, they're passionate about has caused them to fall on a different side of the, the political aisle. That we need to see that, hey, we've got a lot more in common as sons and daughters of God. Right, we've got a lot more common as, as believers, and, and, uh, and we need to be careful not to judge each other that way. So that, that was number one. Our first allegiance is to God and his kingdom. We're not going to be more, uh, more devoted to a political party than we are to, to Jesus and his church. Amen? 
Um, and that leads right into to, to the second point, number two, be careful not to allow political differences to divide the body of Christ. Be careful not to allow political differences to divide the body of Christ. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, sometimes it doesn't depend on you, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We shouldn't fight each other. We should fight for unity in the body, right? We should fight to preserve unity. It doesn't mean we're going to agree about everything, right? We're, we're, we're going to have different preferences. We're going to have different, again, top, top issues that, that are important to us. Um, but we do agree about the most important thing. And so we can't allow the enemy uh, to use political differences to divide us because that division is going to make the political, I'm sorry, those political divisions are going to make the body of Christ ineffective. If we're at each other's throats and we're divided and we, we're mad at each other and even hate each other, um, and we're not going to be effective as the church. We're not going to be effective as, as the mission of the church for reaching the world, reaching our communities with the gospel uh, if we're at each other's throats, right? You guys ever thought about what it might look like to someone who's lost someone in the world when they look at the church and they're just like at each other's throats about political stuff and, and, and throwing vile, nasty words at each other over political stuff? What does that look like if I'm an unbeliever? Seeing these Christians like fighting each other and beating each other up and tearing each other down, what does that look like, right? Is that, is that, does that make Jesus look good, right? Uh, does that make the gospel more attractive if I'm on the outside? Um, so, man, we need to fight for unity in the body of Christ. Jesus was very clear. The defining characteristic of a Christian is this. Uh, all men will know that you're my disciples if what? Louder? If you love one another. Right. Everyone's going to know that you're my follower if you love one another. Not, not if you've got the biggest Bible and, and you've memorized the most verses. Not that you pray more than anybody else. Not that you go to church more than anybody else. The defining characteristic of a Christian is you love one another well. That's it. Those other things are important. But the most important is that we love one another well. So we can't let political issues bring division. Uh, because we're going to lose our identity as the church. People are going to look and say, I don't know what those people are, but I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then the inverse is also true. Man, if we love each other like crazy, even when we disagree... Even if I vote differently than you, even if I've got different political preferences than you, but I still love you like crazy because you're my brother, you're my sister, the world's going to be like, man, what do they have that I don't have, right? How are they still able to love each other like crazy when every other part of society uh, is at each other's throats and fighting tooth and nail? You guys hear what I'm saying? Jesus says the defining characteristic of a Christian is they're going to love one another well. So we've got to love each other well, we've got to fight for unity, and we've got to be careful not to ever let those political differences divide the body of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 23 and 24 says this. Don't we have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments? Has anyone ever been in a stupid argument? That's everybody, right? Don't we have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments? Because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. It must be kind to everyone, able to teach not resentful. Don't allow yourselves to be caught up in fruitless arguments. And, and so often political debates are just that. Uh, they're, they're fruitless. Um, in fact, almost any kind of debate, and you guys probably experienced this somewhat. Uh, if you haven't already, you will. Almost any kind of debate, uh, no one changes their mind. 
No one's converted to the other side. What happens more is, is when a person leaves a debate, they are more convinced of their original position. That, that's usually what happens in a debate. Um, you know, no, no, one, no one comes to Christ by being debated, right? That, that you get into a big theological debate and, and you debate all these theological points and they're like, okay, I concede. What must I do to be saved, right? I, in in, in uh, all my years of ministry experience, I've, I've never seen that. Uh, people come to Christ because they're, they're loved well. Right, and, and and you share and you share the gospel, and then the Holy Spirit does a work in their heart. Right, um, and 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 if, if theological debates can often be fruitless, how much more political debates can be fruitless? Uh, that the man we debate an issue and we get angry, and both sides leave are just believing what they already believe going in. Uh, Paul says, "Don't waste your time with these things. Your time is valuable. Your time is precious. Right? Uh, don't waste it on stupid arguments." Uh, that aren't going to convince anybody anyway. Your time is so much more valuable than that. And God wants to use each and every one of you strategically for His kingdom and His purposes. And on the campus, right, in, in your friend circle, in your family, uh, man, man, God wants to use you. Uh, and, and those stupid debates can be a waste of your time, right? They can burn bridges, right? There could be an opportunity for you to share the gospel and lead someone to Christ. Um, that doesn't mean never, ever have a political discussion. Hear what I'm saying? Just don't get in those stupid arguments and debates. There's, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between two mature adults and talking about a political issue and really listening to each other and really saying, okay, I, I, can, I can try to see what you're saying. Or let me put myself in your shoes. And I may not agree, but I'm going to be civil and, and, and listen and, and still going to love you. There's a difference between that and then the, the political debates where we're just kind of yelling at each other and, and, and we're just trying to think, man, what can I say next to try to cut this guy down? You hear what I'm saying? Paul says, don't have any time, don't waste any time on those stupid and fruitless political arguments and debates. Generally, no one's ever convinced by debate anyway. They leave more convinced of their original position. So your time and your energy is going to be better spent loving your neighbor and sharing the gospel with them. And with other believers, if the issue is not a specific sin or something the Bible condemns, and just choose to overlook that difference of opinion and just love them anyway, right? If it's a specific biblical issue, if it's a sin issue, and that's worth your time, right? Because we need to be encouraging each other in holiness, encouraging each other uh, to, to, to pursue God and, and avoid sin. Um, but if it's not a sin issue, it's just a difference of political opinion, man, man let's just agree to disagree and, and love each other anyway, amen? Don't let... Uh, yeah, don't let yourselves uh, be divided over politics. Uh, this world isn't our home anyway. Uh, we have a, a, I would say an unspoken rule, but I've spoken it, so I guess it's just a rule. Uh, in, our, in our Chi Alpha at the University of Memphis, um, man, this is like an, an official rule, is, is we don't have uh, group political discussions and debates, right? We, we don't jump in the group me and say, all y'all make sure to vote for Joe Bob, in, in this next election, because all these reasons, and, and, and hey, you guys make sure you vote this on amendment, whatever, like, uh, we don't do that, right? It's not, it's not forbidding, like, the discussion of it, like, maybe two or three of you guys want to go get a coffee and have a, have a good, loving discussion, where at the end of it, you still all love each other, um, that's fine, but in a group setting, and this stuff always just kind of tends to to degenerate into to, to fighting and ugliness and feelings hurt and that kind of thing. So I guess about two, 2015, you know, the, the, as the 2016 election cycle is really heating up and there's just a, an extra level of ugliness, it seemed like, uh, in political discourse. I was like, hey, in Calpha, we're not going to talk about that kind of stuff. we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Um, it doesn't mean like you're forbidden from discussing it, but as a group, it's just 
we're not going to waste our time with that, right? It's not worth being divided over. It's not worth being divided over. Um, so that was number two. Don't let yourself, don't allow yourself uh, to, don't allow political differences to divide the body of Christ. And then the final, the number three point, uh, number three takeaway. Number three, interact with the government and its officials in the way the Bible <coughs> instructs us. So remember I said that the not participating is still participating. It's just saying, hey, I'm fine with whatever happens. I don't care. Like, that's still a choice. Um, I mean, how does the Bible instruct us to enact with government, enact with political issues? So, yeah, number three, interact with the government and its officials in the way the Bible instructs us. So what does this look like? What does this look like? What does the Bible tell us about, man, how should we relate to the government as Christians? Our first citizenship is in heaven. Our number one allegiance is always to God and his kingdom. But in this season that you're here on this earth, right? In this season, however many years that you have uh, that you're here on this earth, how should you engage politics? How should you uh, relate to the government and its officials? Uh, what does this look like? Uh, and so two subpoints here. The first one is respect, submission, and obedience. Let me read to you from Romans uh, chapter 13. These are the first two verses. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Paul says, and we need to be subject to our governing authorities. Uh, Why? Because that authority has been instituted by God. God's sovereign over everything. Sovereign is just a fancy word for God's in control of everything. He's king of the whole universe, right? Uh, If God's in control of everything, if God's sovereign over everything, Paul says that includes your political processes, that includes your elections, that includes, man, who's king, who's emperor, who's president, who's prime minister, who's your mayor, who's your governor at that time. That person is there, uh, first and foremost, because God is sovereign and he allowed them to be there for his purposes and his will. We're going to go into, into what exactly that means in a second. But Paul is saying, because God is sovereign and God's allowed this person there as your governor, you need to submit to, to their rule in the same way. Uh, I mean, if, if you submit to their rule, it's like you're submitting to God. And if you rebel against that rule, it's like you're rebelling against God. There's caveats, and we'll get to that in a second. But generally, we need to obey the government and obey the law, right? That's, that's your takeaway. Obey the law. Not like... Okay, that, the speed limit sign says 25. I'm a citizen of heaven, so I'm going to do 50, right? And that's not it. Like, obey your laws. Obey your laws. Well, you know, later on in that passage, uh, man, he instructs him, pay your taxes, right? You've got to pay your taxes. Uh, You've got to obey the law. Man, that's, that's being a good citizen. If you don't obey the law, that's not being a good witness, right? People aren't going to look at you and be like, I want what they got if, if you're a criminal, right? They're, they're going to want you. It may, but if you obey the law, uh, and if you, you honor and respect authority, and that makes Jesus look good. And that makes the gospel appealing. Uh, so, so Paul says, because all political authority, uh, all, all leadership, all authority uh, is something that God is sovereign over. Um, and we can respect authority. We can obey the law in good conscience, right? Knowing that, that God's allowed that, that authority to be in place. Does that make sense? Again, there's caveats. and We'll touch on those. Um, but, but generally, man, that, that's how we interact with government is that we obey government. We submit to government. Um, and we respect, man, those that, that God has, has, has placed in positions of, 
authority. That doesn't mean we like everyone that God's put in positions of authority or that we're happy they're in those positions. And we're in the unique position here in the United States of being part of a, a representative democracy where if we don't like who's in that position, we can actively vote to remove them. That's a cool thing and, and kind of you know, pretty unique looking at, at the history of human civilization. Not everyone's had that opportunity. We've got a unique opportunity uh, to, be, to be more involved in the process. But ultimately, God is sovereign. And, 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 and whoever is in that position of political authority is someone we don't have to like, uh, but, but, but we res- respect them in, in a way that, that, that honors God, right? Does that make sense? Um, the Lord is sovereign over everything, including elections and the placement of individuals into positions of power and authority. Do you guys remember what Jesus said uh, when, when he was before Pilate, right before the crucifixion? Um, we're going to look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19. This is uh, right before the crucifixion. Uh, the, the Jews weren't allowed to publicly execute criminals, so they had to bring him uh, to Pilate, who was, who, was the, um, who was in charge of that, that region, saying, hey, we've got someone that, that we want to execute. And Pilate's like, he's just like a, a traveling teacher. What, what is it? What's he done wrong that's so bad? And so they kind of go back and forth, and ultimately, like, no, crucify him, crucify him. And, and so he, he brings Jesus to the back room and is like, um, can you give me something that can like help me to get you off the hook? Is there anything? Because like I don't want to kill you, but but they're really pushing for that. Um, this is what Jesus says. Well, we're going to look at what Pilate says first. John, John chapter nineteen verse ten. Pilate said, "Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you?" Jesus answered, "You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above." Jesus recognized. Pilate, you're only in charge because God put you there for this season, for his specific purpose, for his will to be done. God's sovereign over every political official and authority. Uh, Even the one that oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus, God is sovereign. Jesus said, you only have this position because God wanted you to have it for this time. And if if you are a political leader, that should be humbling, right? Be like, man, okay, I need to take this responsibility seriously. Um, Daniel, uh, in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17 says, The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives to them anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives to them anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. God is the one that gives people political power. I know that seems weird because it's like, well, didn't we vote? And like the person, well person with the most electoral votes won, right? Isn't that how it worked? Yes, and God is sovereign and and allowed that to happen for his purpose and his will. And we don't always know what that is, but we can trust that God's good, right? And that God's got a plan and that God's in control and God's not like, whoops, now what happened in the United States? Okay, we need to to figure out some backup plans. No, God's God's on the throne. He's not startled. He's not surprised. Uh, You know, he's he's still sovereign. He's got a plan. Uh, God is the one that gives political power and then he works through politicians and rulers and systems to accomplish his will. He works through those systems to accomplish his will. Sometimes this is to bless the people, right? Sometimes they'll get a great ruler and God will work through that ruler to be a blessing to the people. Other times, and very often, God uses that political leader as a judgment to the people. Those of you guys that have read through the Old Testament have seen this again and again and again. Israel was wicked. So God gave him a wicked king as a judgment upon them. So things would get worse. They were more wicked. They got a worse king. 
and a worse king and a worse king until ultimately they'd hit that rock bottom place that we all need to hit and say, God, we need you. And then there would be spiritual reform and they'd come back to God. And they'd repent of their sin. God would give them a good king. You hear what I'm saying? A lot of times, yes, God puts political leaders in power to accomplish his will. But, but those political leaders are not always there as a blessing. Sometimes they're there as a judgment because the people are wicked and they're getting the ruler they deserve. You guys hearing me? That's a hard word. Uh, but if you can hear it, that's, that can shape how you pray. Right? That can shape how you pray. That can shape how you, how you have these kind of discussions. Like I may not like who's, who's an authority there, um, but do they reflect uh, the country, the, the, the region that they're representing? The ugliness of it? Sometimes, right? Um, sometimes God will place people in political authority as a judgment on the people so we can realize our sinfulness because our rulers are really just a reflection of us. The, the ugly parts we don't want to acknowledge. We don't, we don't want to say that's a part of us. Uh, it's a mirror to, to us and, and, and should lead us to places of repentance and deeper humility uh, and deeper holiness. You guys hearing me? Um, but God, God will, will, work through, will work through political forces and institutions to accomplish His will in the earth. And we know that man, His ultimate will is, is what? Well, what's the will of God for the world? Well, what do you guys think? I've talked a lot, right? So this is me realizing I've talked a lot. Well, what's God's plan for the world? Does God, does God have a plan for the world? Yep. Yeah, what, what's that plan? Yeah, it's for us to be restored in relationship with Him. Yeah? What, what, what does the Bible say God's will is concerning the world, concerning humankind? Be reconciled back to Him. Yeah, be reconciled back to Him. It's His will that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Right? He, he wants to see man, every human restored to right relationship with Him. Uh, that, that plan involves sending Jesus uh, in, into the world to be, to, to be that, 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 that substitute. Uh, for us on the, on the cross to die for our sins so we could be forgiven, we could experience grace and mercy and be made right with God. And then part of that plan is also you, right where you're at, proclaiming and that good news of what God's done through Jesus so that more people can come to know Him. Um, and and so, so that's God's will, that's God's purpose. And again, sometimes uh, that means people need a wake-up call and things need to get worse so they realize their, their sinfulness and they repent and turn to God. Um, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish we didn't need those rock bottom moments, but so often, I bet a lot of us in this room could point to a time that's like, things had to get really bad before I realized I needed God. That when things are really good, we forget God a lot of the time. We shouldn't, but we do. When you, again, when you read the Old Testament, when things are really good, the Israelites forgot God, and then they started being idolatrous and wicked, uh, and then God would give them wicked kings as a judgment until they'd have that rock bottom experience and turn back to God. And we see that cycle happen again and again and again. And, and being kind of arrogant, we can read the Old Testament and be like, how dumb are these Israelites, right? They just keep sinning the same way again and again and again. And then you get a little bit more spiritual mature and you go, oh, that's me. That's, that's us, right? That, oh, I do that over and over and over again. Um, and so in the same way God deals with us as, as individuals, man, that's how he deals with people groups and nations. Uh, and everything that God's doing and he's sovereign of is to accomplish that will of seeing people reconciled to him, right? Seeing, seeing people drawn to repentance. It's all right. It's okay. We're going to keep moving. Uh, because he is in control, we can trust that he's going to work through government leaders to accomplish his will and ultimately will cause it all to work together for our good. Who knows Romans 
Who, who can quote that one? Real loud. Real, oh, I thought, hand, let, let, yeah, let's honor the hand raised. Real loud. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have fall according to his purpose. Right. God, God uh, man, works all things together for the good of those who loved him or called according to his purpose. And that includes, man, what, what's going on in politics and political systems. And they look like a mess, but trust uh, God's word when he says he's making it all work together for your good. Right? For your good. When we obey those who are in authority over us, when we obey the law, when we pay our taxes, when we do the speed limit, um, I'm talking to myself, uh, we are by extension obeying the Lord. If you're a U.S. citizen that is part of a representational democracy, man, you get to engage the government by voting for candidates that you think will best influence the government in a way that honors God and advances the gospel. That's amazing opportunity and responsibility. Man, you, you can vote for candidates that you think is best going to accomplish God's will uh, in, your, in, your, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your state, in your nation, uh, that's best going to accomplish God's will and advance the gospel. Um, we may disagree who that is, and, and like we said in, in point, point two, we're not going to allow that to divide us. Um, that's the opportunity and responsibility that we have. So here's a question. Is it ever okay then to disobey the government? What do y'all think? Yeah, what are some occasions where it would be okay to disobey the government that God's placed an authority over you? Yeah, if it's telling you to do something that's against the Bible, if the government's telling you to sin, right? Remember point one, our first allegiance is to God, right? But if the government's like, man, you need to do this thing, but the Bible clearly says it's sin or else you're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine, right? You need to do this thing, you know, that the Bible clearly tells you not to do or else it's going to mean jail time for you. I guess it means jail time for me. Do you guys know how many of your Christian brothers and sisters around the world are in prison because they're, they refuse to, to compromise on, on the Bible? They're standing on God's word and that means jail time for them. Some of them for the rest of their lives uh, in prisons and in really rough circumstances and separated from families, all those kind of things. Um, but, but, but because our first allegiance is to God, yeah, if, if, if the government's instructing you to do something contrary to God's word, then you have an obligation to disobey, to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, if the government's asking you to do something immoral, sinful, contrary to God's word, you have a responsibility to honor the Lord by not submitting to that. A couple examples. A couple examples from the Bible and a couple examples from history. Uh, two examples from the book of Daniel. Uh, so the context... Pastor Kurt's been talking about context is important. The context for the book uh, of Daniel is the uh, Babylonians uh, conquered Judah and, and brought, um, brought, brought the Jews into captivity, most of them into captivity there in Babylon. So you've got a lot of um, and Jewish folks are living uh, in a place that's not their home and having to acclimate to man, the, this new society and this new government. And, and trying to figure out, navigate these same issues you're navigating. Man, do we respect the government? Like, or, or you know, in what, what, what ways do we honor the government? What ways do we, we disobey the government? And as you read Daniel, man, you're going to see some different, um, di- different the, 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 these folks try to figure out those issues in real time. The fir- first one we come across uh, is we've got these characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, that are, that are favored in the kingdom, and, and, and they're, men, men, uh, God's using them, and, and they're, they're finding favor in the secular society as well. But the government, uh, and particularly Nebuchadnezzar, the, 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 the king there, he, he, he says, hey, I'm going to set up this idol, right? And, and at certain times throughout the day, there's going to be a lot of loud 
music that's going to play, and everyone's going to need to bow and worship that idol, uh, like everyone, everyone, or or you're going to die, right? That's what's going to happen. That's that's the law. So we're going to start that now. Uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they they love the Lord and say, we can't do that, right? Even if it means our death, we can't bow to this idol. So so the music starts blasting, everyone bows down, and they're just kind of. Okay. Uh, okay, at least I got Shadrach over here. He's doing it by myself, right? Uh, they say, we're, we're going to refuse to obey that law. You know, they get brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and he's like, man, I, I like you guys, but you've got to obey the law, or, or else I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace, and you're going to get burned up, and that's going to be the end of your story. We know it's not the end of their story. But, uh, and they say, King, uh, man, we're not trying to be disrespectful, but we can't bow to this idol, right? Our... Our God is God, and, and we're loyal to God, uh, and we're not going to bow to your idol. You know, we trust that God's going to deliver us. Even if he doesn't, we're not bound to this idol, right? Even if that means we get burned up, we're not bound to this idol. That's not going to happen. Uh, we're going dis- to disobey you on this one. Um, Nebuchadnezzar does put them in the fiery furnace. God does deliver them, um, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, whoa, okay, I'm taking notice of your God, right? Disobedience to the government caused the governor uh, to take notice of the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? So, 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 I mean, that, that's an example. A little bit later in Daniel, um, we see Daniel, the, the, the title character. <laughs> uh, Daniel um, is, is serving, uh, is serving under a king, and, there, and there's some, some political leaders that are they have agendas. And, and long story short, they say, "Hey, um, King, let's make it a rule that that, that nobody can pray." Uh, to, to, to anybody but you um, for, for, for a set amount of time. Uh, we're just going to make it illegal, illegal to pray. Uh, Daniel says, I can't do that, right? I've got to, I've got to pray. I've got to talk to the Lord. So, so Daniel, man, he goes, he goes up in his house, right, in, in, in public view, and, and he continues to pray to the Lord. Uh, he gets in trouble, right, for disobeying the law. He gets thrown uh, in the lion's den. Man, man, God, God delivers him. And again, lots of people take notice that, okay, Daniel, maybe your God is really God. Uh, and, and, of course, people can come, come to know God through that. So there are occasions, man, where, where if the government's asking you to do something immoral, sinful, unbiblical, something that's going to cause you not to be loyal to the Lord, then there are occasions uh, for, for us to disobey. Examples from U.S. history. Um, the abolition of slavery, right? Uh, for years and years and decades and decades and decades in the U.S., it was perfectly legal to own other human beings as slaves. It was wicked and immoral, but it was legal. You guys hear what I'm saying? Uh, and, and, and there were people, many of them Christians, that said, hey, man, I'm looking at the Bible. Every human being made in the image of God with dignity, value, and worth, slavery's not right. Like, this is not right. We've got to stop doing this. This is not okay. It's not okay. Um, uh, man, many of those, those early abolitionists uh, were abolitionists because of their faith in Jesus and because cause they saw, saw dignity uh, in humans being made in the image of God, and, and they, they fought for change. Uh, and they said, hey, we're not just going to go along with this because it's the law, right? It's a bad law, and we need to change it, right? So, so, so sometimes interacting with the government is recognizing that a law or a standard is immoral and fighting to change it, right? Um, uh, I mean, years later, with civil rights movements for minority groups, it's the same thing. Hey, hey there are laws that, 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 that are separating and segmenting our society, but they're gross and immoral and they're not right and they're bad laws and we should change them and, and people fought to do that, right? So th- there's times 
and to respect and honor the government, trusting that God is sovereign and places people in power uh, for his purposes, and we want to respect that. Uh, and there's other times where it says, hey, um, I mean, some, some of these laws are, are wrong and they're immoral, and I'm not going to obey them because my first allegiance is to the Lord. You guys see the difference there? Um, but if it's not a sin, if it's not the government asking me to go against God, and then we should err on the side of being respectful in submission and obeying authority uh, like we're obeying the Lord. You guys hear me? Uh, so that, that was the first one, you know, respect, uh, obedience, submission. And the second one is through prayer. Other than submission, the other way the Bible instructs us to interact with the government and its officials is to pray for them. Pray for them. When was the last time you prayed for the president? When was the last time, and not like God smite the president, but when was the last time you really prayed for the president, for your mayor, for your governor, for your senators, for your representatives? Really pray. God, God give them wisdom. God, would you give them supernatural understanding? God, if they don't know you, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to them in truth so they can come to know you? God, would you put people in their lives that would share the gospel with them and love them well and lead them to Christ so they can be uh, and discipled and, and live lives that honor you? God, they've got amazing responsibilities on their shoulders. Would you give them supernatural wisdom on how to govern the people well in a way that honors you uh, is going to advance your kingdom and advance the gospel? Um, No matter how we feel about our political leaders, no matter our opinion of them as people, the Bible commands us clearly to pray for them, to pray for them. As a Christian, you have a responsibility to pray for them. Uh, This will be the last verse we'll look at, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first four verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Again, don't pray, God, I pray that they be hit with a big lightning bolt. Ask God to help them. Help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Pray for everyone, but specifically pray for kings and all those that are in authority. Pray for your political leaders. Man, in your time, uh, man, in your daily daily devotion time of prayer uh, with God each day, um, and block out some time to pray for those that God's placed in, in, in authority over you, authority figures uh, in, your, in your family, in your, in your school, your university, uh, in your city, your state, uh, national leaders, world leaders. Um, you know, those that you know their names, pray for them by name. If you don't know their names, God does, right? Um, and again, again, it's not your job to, to pray judgment upon them, right? That's God's job. Oh, we're going to let God do his job. Pray that God helps them. <clears throat> Every human being's number one need is they need to be reconciled to God. We don't know anybody's heart. And in fact, Jesus tells us not to judge anybody's heart, right? Uh, so I can't, I can't look at you and say, I, I bet he's not a Christian, right? I don't know. But if he's not a Christian, God, I pray that you would save him. I pray that you would intervene in his life, that you'd reveal yourself to him, that you'd open up his eyes. Uh, and God, I pray that you would help him, give him supernatural wisdom, uh, and, and help them to, to lead these people well, right? Help them to, you know, he's representing this, this, this certain group of people. I pray that he'd represent them well and their interests well. Um, and God will ultimately bring our nation to a place where more people can come to Christ, right? Where the gospel can be advanced uh, and something that's going to be good and fair and just for, for all people. Um, 
So pray, pray for your leaders, right? Whether you like them or not, is it relevant? Pray for them. Pray for them. And pray for them like you'd want someone to pray for you, right? Pray for them like if you were the president. How would you want, how would you want a nation of people praying for you? Pray that prayer, right? I know that would be a lot of pressure, right? To have to make those kind of major, major decisions that affect hundreds of millions of people. Uh, man, how would you want someone praying for you? Right, praying, praying for, for help, for, for strength, for wisdom. I'd want, I'd want prayers for wise counsel and put people around me that, that are wise, that can advise me. Uh, help God humble me so I'll listen to them and not think I know better, right? Pray, pray for our political leaders. So, so the, big three, the big three takeaways. Number one was our first allegiance is always to God. Again, this is how we navigate all these tough, tense political issues. Our first allegiance is always to God and His kingdom. Number two, we've got to be careful not to allow political differences to divide the body of Christ. We've got to love each other well no matter what. And then finally, we've got to interact with our government and its officials in the way the Bible instructs us, right? In a way that honors the Lord. So application, you know, this track is about engaging the campus, right? We're going to bring it back around to this in these last couple minutes. Um, This track is about engaging the campus. So how can our biblical engagement in politics and political discussions create an opportunity to advance the gospel on our campus? That's the question, and it's open-ended on purpose. What do you guys think? How can the way that we engage political stuff, biblically, and create more open doors for the gospel, more open doors for for people to come to know God? What do you think? Do you guys have any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, man, it strengthens our testimony. That's it. Yeah, that's good. What else? Yeah, coming to that place of understanding and empathy. Yeah, yeah, scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn. Um, every time there's any kind of political election or whatever, you're going to have a lot of brokenhearted and hurt people. Because uh, not everybody wins. And, 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 uh, and to be yeah, just acutely aware that you've got, you've got friends, you've got classmates that are brokenhearted, and they don't have the hope that you have in Jesus, right? So when their political leaders defeated, they had so much hope invested in them, that's soul-crushing to them. And, and, and so they're, they're depressed, they, they don't know how they're going to go on, right? And, and that's an opportunity for you to, to come alongside them and uh, man, mourn with them, to, to, to love on them, to, to be there with them. You're absolutely right. A great opportunity for the gospel. I saw this saying in the... In the not just willing to be um, intentional about having conversations face to face rather than over a screen. Um, um, that's something that, like, um, I just 
more to say that for myself out loud too. This is something that I um, get caught up in the emotion of like um, that, that instead of like like being intentional and trying to improve possibly set up something like, okay, can we talk about can we need to talk about this? I wanna know why you yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. O- over social media, you know, there's so much nuances lost because you can't hear tone, you can't hear inflection, you can't hear body language, and and so you a little bit read out of it what you want to, and, and that's why stuff gets escalated and heated. So so maybe less of that and more face to face. I think that's absolutely it. So it's your hand and then your hand. This will be, yeah, one, one last one, back there. Yeah, um, I think always going into a conversation, listening first, and listening more than you speak. Um, and also never going into a conversation that we're speaking with somebody with your motivation being wanting that to change. Because that's, that's manipulative, and that's mm. giving us more power than we should have. And just always be more pure. Just listen, listen more. Yeah. Be quiet and hear what they're saying. That's really good. Also, there are justice issues that you have in common with non-believers. Uh, there, there are issues that you see, problems in your neighborhood, problems in your city, problems in the world, uh, that unbelievers also recognize as problems that need to be solved, uh, that, that many you can, can, can partner with. Many see, hey, there's, uh, there, there's poor in our community that need to be cared for. Right? There's marginalized in our community that need to be helped, and, and, and may, we can partner on that even though we don't believe the same. But that builds relationship, gives us opportunity to share the gospel. Um, but, but yeah, all, all these things, super, super, super good. But, but hopefully this kind of helps you think as, as you go from here about, about ways that we can engage. Again, not, not so that we can win a debate, but so that people can come to Christ and the um, gospel can be advanced. I didn't want to take, so um, just the next like three, four minutes, if there were any questions, like as we were talking, if any questions came to mind, maybe... Matt, you didn't really address this, but I'd like to hear what you have to think about it. Anybody have any of that? Well, just super short Q&A. So you first, and then. So, so you talk about like making laws. It's not a sin in the Bible to really try and enforce it, you know, like for the wrong reasons. But it's on the question of since our, like our country's found on religious freedoms, would it be okay to force our moral beliefs from the Bible on people that aren't Christians? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, yeah, not, not everyone in the United States is a Christian. So, so you know, legislating Christian principles, yeah, is, that, is, that, is that moral? Is that right? Um, I'm not going to answer. Yeah, you've got to figure that out. You are responsible to vote who you think is going to best, uh, best accomplish God's will. 
uh, who's going to best open doors for the kingdom to advance. Um, you know, on religious liberty issues specifically, I mean, I think that's important to vote for. I mean, we want more religious liberties, right? We want to be free. Y'all want to be free to meet on your campus for Bible study, right? Y'all want to be free to walk up uh, to students and, and, and build a relationship, share the gospel, right? Um, more religious liberty is a good thing. That also means that Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims uh, will also have more religious liberty, but, but that, that, that's an overall good thing because, man, I don't want to see your religious liberty restricted. Um, and, and so, but when it comes to, hey, legislating something that's a strictly Christian principle, and, and man, there's so much checks and balances in our government to prevent that from happening. Um, but, but, but when you're sitting there in the, in the voting booth saying, okay, who do I think's best going to accomplish this and then trust ultimately God, you're sovereign, and, and there's, there's checks and balances there if, if you don't want that to happen. But no, that's a great question and one that I think we should wrestle with and don't just want a blanket answer. Who will... You and then. Uh, so, uh, on my campus, whether or not they're believers or not, I find there's a lot of polarizing opinions, and people are very strongly opinionated in their political beliefs. They're very uh, not extreme, but they're very far in one direction. Hmm. Um, so they tend to get very heated very easily. Uh, so, what's some powerful ways you can do to kind of disarm that, maybe calm down? You said other believers that get heated, or not? Not, like, not just other believers, but just not people in general. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, if, if it's another believer, uh, I, I would want to point them to, hey, you know, we disagree on this issue, but, but we've got to rally around the fact that we both love Jesus uh, and, and, and we can't, can't, can't let there be this kind of, kind of division here. And we've got to come to a, a place of understanding and empathy, and even if it's an agree to disagree kind of thing. Um, but as far as de-escalating uh, conflict, man, Jesus said in the Beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers. And if you can come into a situation uh, and bring peace, um, and part of that's your, your body language, the way you talk, man, demonstrating love, uh, saying, maybe it's coming and saying, hey, let, let's calm down a little bit, right? Uh, that that we, we disagree over this, um, but man, it's, it's not worth being in each other's throats. And we can walk away from this friends and, and let, let's love each other and, and discuss it in such a way that we're not uh, cutting people down, insulting, you know, vilifying each other. Um, and that's really tough because for some people, these issues are, man, they're so... Um, so important, so important that, that they, they, they can't quite get over that hurdle of anyone who disagrees with me is, is the enemy. Um, but, but anything we can do to, to help yeah, yeah, de-escalate or, 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 or be, that, be that peacemaker in that situation, um, and, and sometimes it's stepping up and saying, hey, hey let's, let's calm down. Or, uh, man, let, let me take you guys out, out for ice cream and, and uh, uh, man, let, let's, let me take a, take a beat and like break up for a little bit and come back to it after we've slept on it and, and uh, and this isn't really going anywhere. Those kind of things that to, to help help bring the heat down. Um, but yeah, that, that's a tough one. Probably every situation is a little different on that and, and how best to approach it because the personalities of the people involved are going to be so different. But no, that's, that's a good question. Hi, uh, do you think making certain laws that are biblical will stop people from making certain decisions? This is just what I think. Uh, it, it, no. No. Pe- people... People rebel against laws. They rebel against spiritual laws, and if they can get away with it, they'll they'll try to get around government laws. Laws laws don't change the heart. That's that's why Jesus had to come. Is the is the inefficiency of the law to change anybody? Um, you know, you know, Paul 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 says in Romans that the the law is never never able to make us right with God. It couldn't. It shows our deficiency and our need for grace, our need for a savior. Uh, the laws can't make anybody righteous or can't make anybody good. 
Um, only Jesus can do that. So um, I guess that's, that's, that's real similar to that gentleman's question of like, yes, we do want laws that reflect godly morals, but we know, man, our ho- the hope of the world is not the government and its laws. The hope of the world is Jesus. Uh, we can make all the good laws we want to, but human nature is to rebel against law, and, and people need to be introduced to, to, to grace and, and to Jesus. That's good. Well, hey, uh, man, I hope this was helpful, constructive uh, for you. If you guys think of more questions later, you can find me. Um, or you can, can get my email or, or, or text. You can text me, contact me. I like answering questions. Um, and, and the way our brains work, we tend to think of the question like an hour from now. Like, oh, I wish I would have asked that. So that's totally fine if you want to find me later. Email me later. Well, hey, let's pray. And then, and then we can, can, can wrap up. God, um, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for sending your son Jesus uh, to reconcile us to yourself. God, I thank you for doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. For saving us. Uh, for adopting us into the family of God, for adopting us into your kingdom, God, that no matter what happens on this earth, that we have an eternal citizenship in heaven that's unshakable. God, that our time here on this earth is short. It's fleeting compared to an eternity in heaven with you, God. God, I pray that you would help these students to, to keep at the forefront of their mind their citizenship in heaven, that they belong to a heavenly kingdom. That their, their heavenly Father is, is, is King of the universe, and their, their first and foremost allegiance is always going to be to Him. God, I pray that you would help them as they have to navigate these complicated and complex political issues, God, to navigate in a way that honors you. Um, God, that they would be uh, determined to fight for unity in the body of Christ uh, and not let these things uh, divide them from their brothers and sisters, not allow themselves to be caught up uh, in fruitless debates and arguments, God. Uh, that they would love each other like crazy, love one another well, uh, love non-believers well, um, and, and be those peacemakers you want us to be in this world, Father God. And God, help each and every one of us to interact with the government and its officials in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, that we would, we would be respectful, God, knowing that that makes the gospel attractive to the people around us. Uh, God, we would pray and intercede for our leaders. God, knowing that you've placed them in those positions, Father God, for your will and your purposes. And and God, I pray that we would pray for them first and foremost to know you. And then we'd also pray for them uh, to to, to have wisdom uh, and ability to do their job in a a way that's good for all people, God. Um, We love you. We trust you with these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.